take your Bible, if you have a hard copy or a digital copy, why don't you follow along with me as we open to the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis, and we're going to have a passage that's a little different than what we typically do here at Highland Crest. We typically just open up one passage and then just work through it verse by verse or phrase by phrase, word for word. Uh, Today we're going to do more of a topical message. If you want to follow along with the message, there's a little insert in your bulletin that has some notes that just kind of helps you stay on track of where I'm going. Years ago, when I entered into my college years, I think that is when God became very real to me. I understood sin more clearly. I understood the consequences of my sin. And then I understood why Jesus had come to die on the cross, that it was for sinners just like me. So God was not just a a shadowy, angry figure But as he saved me from my sins, he became a loving father. And Jesus was not just like a a Renaissance painting in someone's living room, but he became my shepherd. And the Spirit was not just some cartoon dove, but he really became my helper. And as I think back to my Christian life, there were a series of benchmarks that God was working in my life. Getting in the Word and reading it on a regular basis. Like I need to hear what God wants me to do for the day. So began that discipline. I remember getting some relationships right with some dear family members that I'd had unforgiveness towards. It was like God wasn't letting me to take the next step in my Christian life until I humbled myself and, and asked for forgiveness. I had issues of like impurity and lust in my life that I needed to confess and bring out to the light and ask for people's help and some accountability. And as he was doing this work in my life, I remember attending a church one day where a pastor preached on tithing. Now, I grew up in a very much ordinary working class family where we learned the value of hard work and the value of a dollar. One of the great gifts that my parents did for me is they made me earn my own money for a car and pay my own insurance and my own gas. And at the time, I'm like, hey, my friends, they got a lot different than I do, but That instilled in me a work ethic, a value of money that now I want to pass down to my kids, right? And now I'm sitting in church one day, and I'm hearing a pastor talking about money. And I remember thinking, maybe the same thing that's going through your mind right now. Look here. Now we come to church, and what's the pastor talking about? Money. He's just like one of those televangelists. And if that's what you're thinking this morning, I get it because I had the same thoughts when I was in your, your position. And this pastor on that particular Sunday opened up the scriptures to me and, and showed me that everything belonged to God. 
He showed me in the scriptures where there was an expectation that while everything belonged to God, the top 10% was to be returned to God and that we could live more on that 90% with God in a relationship than we could 100% by ourselves. And I remember that pastor challenging me about tithing. And I thought, man, I don't know about this. And so I began to investigate it on my own and prayed about it. And I sensed very clearly that that's what God was leading me to do. And it's been a practice of my life now for decades. And I would never go back. What a blessing that that worship has been in my life. So today... I'm that pastor. And I don't speak to you as someone that is um, not where you are at, but as a practicer that has known the joy of giving. And now as we've been going through this series on giving, beginning today, we're going to talk about some very practical steps on how we can put this stuff into practice. And it begins with something called the tithe. So perhaps we have people with us today that says, well, tithing is an Old Testament law and we are of the new covenant. I'm a New Testament Christian and you're going to be preaching legalism today. And if that is your view, um, I'm actually sympathetic. I understand. I've, I've studied that view. I understand where you're coming from. I hope that you will just hear me out this morning. You'll hear what this message is about. And then you'll, you'll reach your own conclusion to see if I'm being biblical or not. What I'd like to do today is give you ten points on tithing. Ten points, okay? So if you have your little outline, we're just gonna, we're gonna work our way through this together. I'm asking you to look at Genesis chapter 14, and the first passage we're going to look at this morning in this message that has an assortment of scriptures actually takes place with Abram, who would later become Abraham. Here's the first point. Tithing in the Bible dates all the way back to Abraham and Jacob. Look at here what it says in Genesis chapter 14. I'll begin in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Verse 19, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Listen to what it says there in verse 20. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So we you see there that there is a tithe that took place. And what's the significance of this? Is that Abraham's tithe predated the law of God. Because the law of God is not given to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Tithing was in existence even before God gave the law to Moses. Now we could look at the 20th chapter, 28th chapter of Genesis, and we could see Abraham's grandson, 
Jacob also offering a tithe. Now let's look at the second point of our message this morning. God commanded tithing. Now, last year we worked through the Ten Commandments. And as we worked through them one by one, I I tried to keep before you the first two verses of Exodus 20, where it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The important point of that is that the law was given to people that had already been delivered. They'd already experienced the salvation. They were not given this law in order to obey that they could experience deliverance. They had already experienced it. The law was given to them to show them how they were to live. As we look at the law, the 27th chapter of Leviticus, you have it there in your outline. In verse 30 it says, A tithe of everything from the Lord, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now if we were to look at the law, we would see that there were actually three different tithes. There was a tithe that went to the ministers like the Levites and priests. There was a tithe that was given for feast. And there was a tithe that was given every third year for the poor. If you're doing the math, their tithe was actually about 23%. Now back then they didn't have something called social security like we do. And so maybe that additional amount would be something that we would consider social security. When we look at the tithe, how we tithe matters. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 18 of two men that went into the temple to pray? One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So how we tithe matters. If we're thumping our chest and saying, look how, how much of a servant of God I am, God doesn't receive that. So the first thing we saw was that tithing actually predated the law. Secondly, we see that tithing is commanded. Now thirdly, we see tithing is simple, simple to calculate. That word tithe simply means tenth part. I remember one of my sons coming home with a paycheck and said, uh, Dad, how do I tithe? And I said, well, you see that decimal point. All you do is move it one digit to the left. If it's $100, a tithe is $10. If it's $1,000, a tithe is $100. If it's $10,000, a tithe is $1,000. Again, Leviticus 27, verse 30 says that that tithe belongs to the Lord. But two weeks ago, we learned that 
Everything belongs to the Lord. We read in Exodus 19, verse 5, where the scripture says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And in Exodus, rather, Psalm 50, verse 10 and 12, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. So not only does the tithe belong to God, but the other 90% does as well. This reminds us that this tithe represents our best. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Back in the agricultural times of the Bible, a tithe was brought not of cash, but of grain. And during the first part of that harvest, farmers were to ensure that God got his portion. So they would tithe with the first portion of that harvest. Now you say, I'm not a farmer. But still, when we get our checks or when that direct deposit kicks into our bank, the first check or the first amount that we are to write is to God. This is God. Now, why would it be important to have the first fruits? Because if we take it as the last fruits, we could get to the end of the month and say, well, I don't have enough to give my tithe. But if we prioritize that tithe, we are saying, God, you are the most important. You are the one who has provided all of this, and so I give to you your, per- your portion at the very top. Let's consider now another passage. It's the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi, he is a prophet, and he has been speaking to God's people about their disobedience. And in Malachi chapter 3, I'll just give you three verses, he addresses some of the rebellion that is related to tithing. It says in verse 8 of Malachi 3, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is need of no more. The fourth statement here on tithing is to withhold the tithe is to rob God. Now what does it mean to rob? It means to take something that doesn't belong to you. And as you read these verses, you'll see in verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. Why? Because they have withheld their tithe. Now, how was that manifested? I think in verse 11, it would tell us 
that the, the ground of which they were planting crops was not fertile. The harvest was not plentiful. So there was this curse for withholding the tithe from God. I've heard in the years that I've served in ministry of people that knew that God was leading them to tithe. But in their disobedience, they chose not to obey. And something went wrong with the car. And something went wrong with an appliance. They got a a speeding ticket or, or a parking ticket. And it was as if one way or another, that 10% was not theirs to spend. To withhold the tithe is to rob God. Fifthly, the tithe was to be brought to the house of worship. Did you see it there? And again, chapter 3, in verse 8, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. There was a, a location of which this was to be brought. And it was a, the place of worship, my house. Now today we've had the Gideons, and I'm grateful for their ministry. I've benefited it from myself. I've I've come across Bibles and and necessary times in a hotel room. I'm so grateful that this is here, that I I can read it. I can think of over the years that that has been wonderful to have. I think of times when I was in college and just their witness of being out on the the sidewalks, of distributing a, a little New Testament that was so meaningful and so timely for me. We think of different ministries that we can give to, whether it's Samaritan's Purse, whether it's different missionaries out there, a college ministry. And all of these are wonderful to give towards. But what we see here in this passage is that there is a storehouse. There is my house, God's house, of which the tithe is brought. And there is a pattern that we see throughout scriptures where God's people are to take care of of God's servants. A portion of the tithe that was going to the storehouse were to take care of the ministers, the, the Levites, and the priests. So when a person gives to a local church, that goes towards offsetting some of the cost. Just this past Wednesday, we concluded the, the 2023 budget. We had a business meeting here. All six of you were here for it. And I thought, well, this is perfect timing. Miss Ginger, could you, could you look over our budget? And could you see where the money went? Because I think this would be great timing as we think about the storehouse for the people of the family of Highland Crest to know what percentage went to what. So if you bring a dollar, and I have one here, if you put a dollar in the offering plate, how is that divided up? Do you know that 19 cents of that dollar goes towards missions? Some of that goes to overseas, the planning church. It goes towards the salary, to the retirement, to the health insurance of missionaries. Some of that we have identified within our local church of, of people that we want to stay connected with, like the Reed family that minister in China, like the Curtis family that ministers up into Alaska, like the Holcutt family that ministers there in Ecuador. Do you know that we've also set aside a fund, we call it the Direct Missions Fund, so that when we go to Senegal, 
to see a, a church planted on Nia Moon Island. There's a fund that we can draw from to defray your cost. 19%, 19 cents on the dollar goes towards planting churches and distributing the gospel. 22% or 22 cents of this dollar goes towards the lights, goes towards the comforts of these chairs. Aren't those comfortable? Aren't you grateful that the furnace is running today? It goes to heating this building. When it comes time to build an upgrade, like updating our bathrooms, 22% or 22 cents goes towards that. Another 22 cents goes towards ministries. So that when we have a Bible study, there's Sunday school materials that are paid for that you can use. When we have a men's breakfast, a ladies' bridal shower, a ladies' baby shower, when we have a, a men's retreat or a women's retreat, there's money that offsets some of those costs. That's drawn from the 22 cents of ministry. And that leaves about 37% or 37 cents on the dollar that goes towards staff. So you don't need to come in and clean. We have people that do that for you. And when you call, someone answers the phone. And when you email, someone responds to your email. And, and you don't have to study for the messages. Someone else will bring the sermon to you. So where does that money come from? It comes from the tithe. The storehouse tithe. That word storehouse is a significant, isn't it? It's that, that the resources are being brought to the house of worship. But the house of worship is not to store it and stockpile it, but it is to distribute it out so that the gospel can be carried out, so that the poor can be helped. Now, currently, as a church, we, we have a savings, a significant savings. And Lord willing, that money will be applied to a building addition of a gym and a large entryway and some, and some additional classrooms. That's what that savings is towards. It's not intended to hoard. It's intended to be used to advance God's kingdom. Let me give you a sixth statement then under tithing. From the same passage, to tithe is to exercise faith in God providing Do you see what it says there? It says in verse 10, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. At the beginning of this message, I talked to you about different benchmarks in my life and my Christian life. One of them was that day when I heard about tithing and trusting Him. I come to the realization that I was trusting in God for my salvation. That I would not go to hell when I died. I was trusting in Him to save me from my sins based on what Christ had done for me. I'd come to realize that I, at that time I was trusting Him for a future spouse. I was trusting in Him to, to pay the bills. I was trusting in Him for health and for my family. Now, why in the world wouldn't I trust Him with the resources that were His to begin with? And that test was very significant for me. I learned the value of hard work and money, but I realized that it all belonged to Him. 
I can trust God. You see, tithing is worship. We return to God what belongs to Him. And tithing provides a very specific way that can confront our selfishness, our stinginess, and our greed. Tithing provides an opportunity to see God work in new and affirming ways. Oh, man. I remember times where I would get a check from my bank and said, we made a mistake. We just want to let you know that we made a mistake. Here's a check. And I'm like, how in the world? I've never heard of this happen before. I remember when I was in seminary and and just working on a meager income. And I got a check from the IRS that says, we processed your tax returns and, and we made a mistake. Here's a check for you. I don't know how many times when I was in need, there would be an unexpected card in the mail of God's provision. And I never would have experienced that unless God had led me to tithing. Now, I'm not a prosperity preacher. A prosperity preacher might at this point say, if you want to get rich, then what you need to do right now is begin to give. And the the more that you will give, the richer God will make you. And that's not at all what I am saying. But I'm just here to tell you, not based on theory, but on personal experience, the more that I've been faithful, the more I've seen God's faithfulness in my life. There's a man for the last several years that for some reason, he did it this morning, he will stop by even before Sunday school and drop off cookies or or chili, or or something for lunch for my family. He doesn't even attend our church. And sometimes there'll be an envelope of money there. He came to a Bible conference several years ago, and and that's how he he, kind of heard about our family, our church. And he continues to do that. And I can't tell you how his example has challenged me and our family. He is an example of a conduit of God's blessing. And I'm being reminded of that on a regular basis, that nothing belongs to me, but rather the blessings that God has given to me, I am to share with others. Here's the principle. The more we give, the more God trusts us, the more He gives so that we can give those blessings away. Now, what about Jesus in all of this? Chad, I've noticed that you've been spending the whole message on the Old Testament. And you said at the beginning that there are people that believe that tithing is of the Old Testament law. You actually quoted from the Old Testament law. Where is Jesus? Where's the New Testament in all of this? And with that, I'd have you turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 23 is Jesus spoke about tithing. Now in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is speaking to a bunch of scribes and Pharisees. These were leaders that were religious, but they they had mastered the externals, but their hearts were far from God. And in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. These men, these leaders, were tithing even to the point of salt and pepper. But while they were strict at doing this, they were neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness. And Jesus said to them, you ought to be doing this justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the others, without neglecting the tithe. You see that Jesus affirmed tithing. And there is nowhere in the New Testament where it is written that that has been discontinued. Number eight, tithing is not the ceiling of giving, but the floor of giving. It's not that there's two different classes of Christians. There's the all-stars that tithe, and then there's the junior varsity that doesn't tithe. Rather, Tithing is more like the training wheels. We've been emphasizing over the last three weeks of how God has given to us blessings in order to share with others and that we are to have not just the life perspective, but an eternal perspective. And, and tithing is the entry point. It's, it's the way to get started into giving. And once you experience some of the blessings of tithing and giving, you're like, we can increase our giving. This is wonderful. We can increase our heavenly treasures. In recent weeks, I, I heard about the founder of the Caterpillar tractor. His name was R.G. Latourine. Born in 1888, died in 1969. He was a very successful Christian industrialist who was identified as a godly businessman. He was hugely successful, designing and developing his own line of earth-moving equipment. Latore was the maker of nearly 300 inventions and had hundreds of patents in his lifetime. And he succeeded financially too. He increased his giving to the point where he gave 90% of his income to the Lord's work. And he said this, I shovel out the money, and God shovels it back. But God has a bigger shovel. I was listening this weekend as we were going up to the winter camp of a, of a very successful businessman who was, who was one that would give to gospel purposes. And there was a young businessman that looked up to him, and he began to kind of mentor him a little bit. And he said to this young man, pick a number. Pick a number. What, what number is it that you could live off comfortably? And as God prospers you and God prospers your business, when you reach that number, give everything beyond that number away to godly resources, to eternal impact ministries. For those who I'm very sympathetic with this morning that are either here or listening to this, I would say that legalism 
is what tithing is all about. And I am not a, a legalist. I'm not an Old Testament Christian. I'm not a law Christian. I'm a, I'm a new covenant. I'm a grace Christian. The question I would have for you is if the law leads us to give 10%, then what does grace lead you to give? Where in the Scriptures would, would grace outdo or underdo the law? If the law is 10%, then grace has to at least succeed and go beyond that. Finally, let's look at number nine. When it comes to tithing, by the way, it's pretty quiet here this morning. I had a suspicion it would be. When it comes to tithing, excuses abound as to why we don't. Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, provides a number of little scenarios. Let me read to you some of them. Here's the problem. Bill and Donna don't understand first fruits. Rather, let me go to the situation. Bill and Donna are in their mid-30s. Bill had steady work, but there's always too much month left at the end of their money. Bill and Donna sincerely intend to put in the offering box whatever's left at the end of the month. But between house payments, bills, and sticking a little into saving, there's nothing ever left. They feel bad, but what can they do? They're out of money. Here's, here's the problem. Bill and Donna don't understand first fruits. They should give to the Lord off the top, not just what's left or not left. They don't realize that the tithe belongs to God, and there's a word for taking money that doesn't belong to them, robbing. Here's another situation. Bob and Elaine are in their early 50s. Elaine says, for years we've fritted away our income on all kinds of luxuries. Now we're 12 years from retirement, we don't have enough saved. On top of that, we've still got two kids in college. We like to give to the church, Bob explains, but Scripture says that we've got to provide for our family first. After we get our kids through school and get a nest egg started, then we'll start giving. Here's the problem. Bob and Elaine are keeping what belongs to God in order to compensate for their poor planning and lack of discipline. Their first debt is not to their children's college education. Their first debt is to God. If it wasn't tuition cost, it would be something else. Since they have no standard of giving, they've always found reasons not to give. Don and Sue believe they aren't under the law but under grace. And that tithing lends itself to a pharisaical letter-of-the-law approach. They believe that God's law is written on our hearts and we should give freely without compulsion. They are proud of their mature and liberating belief in grace giving. Here's the problem. Last year, Don and Sue's grace giving amounted to about $30 per month, about one half of 1% of their income. While they laud grace and deplore the law, their actions suggest that grace is one-twentieth as effective as the law. If grace is ineffective of motivating their sexual purity as it is their giving, they won't be married much longer. The problem isn't grace, of course, but their belief that grace 
means God has lowered his standards and doesn't care how we live. Here's another situation. Joe is an outspoken Christian known as a man of faith. He stands up at church business meetings and says he wants the church to build and raise the pastor's salaries and expand into new ministries. Joe challenges his church to rise to the occasion and reads passages of Scripture about walking by faith. He inspires everyone, everyone that is except God and the financial secretary who know the truth. If everyone gave like Joe, the pastors would be laid off. The missionaries would have to leave the field and the church would close its doors. Here's the problem. Joe has great faith and vision when it comes to other people's obedience. It's his own obedience that he has trouble with. He fails to ask himself, if everyone gave like I do, where would this church be? He's quick to commit other people's money, but clings to his own. Joe's a hypocrite. He says one thing and does another. In doing so, he heaps up judgment for himself, and he'll be held accountable to God, not only for this lack of giving, but also for his hollow words. There's Paula. Paula believes in giving, but thinks that Scripture says giving should be voluntary. After all, God loves a cheerful giver. However, Paula is not yet to the point that she really wants to give. Given my financial obligations right now, I can't give cheerfully, Paula says. And if you can't give cheerfully, you shouldn't give at all. Now, Paula is right that God wants us to give cheerfully. But she is wrong in thinking that she should only give if she feels like it. Tithe belongs to God. It's not Paula's to withhold. Regardless of how she feels about it, Paula's point about cheerfulness may be relevant to free will offerings, those beyond the tithe, but not to the tithe itself, since it doesn't belong to her in the first place. After becoming obedient, Paul, Paula will perhaps become more joyful in her giving. Whatever she does or not, she still should be obedient. And then finally, Jim. Jim is a successful Christian businessman who wants to his dollars to count. I strongly believe in tithing, says Jim. Part of my tithe goes to mission organizations, part to a student ministry, a radio broadcast, and a television ministry. I believe in giving where it matters. Too much of the church's money goes to salaries and buildings and maintenance. I don't want my money going to clean restrooms and mow lawns. I'm not that impressed with the church anyway. The services are too crowded, the building needs repairs, and we ought to be giving more money to missions. Why doesn't that church just get on the ball? Here's the problem. Jim fails to understand the centrality of the local church in God's kingdom program. Jim is annoyed at the deterioration of the church facilities, yet he doesn't want his money to go to the buildings. He's appalled at the dirty restrooms, yet he doesn't want his money to go towards cleaning them. He wants and expects his pastors to meet his needs, but he doesn't want to pay their salaries. He wants the church to give the missions, but he doesn't give to the church. The church will get on the ball when people like Jim get on the ball. That leads me to the final, number 10. Here's your application for today. 
One needs to pray, search the scriptures, budget, trust God, and tithe. Here's a challenge I'm going to have for each of you today. If you are already tithing, there's a challenge for you, but let me just speak for a moment to those who have not been tithing. I don't know who gives, and it's good for me not to know who gives. And it's not like our church is running a deficit or anything like that. I'm just going to trust that you'll hear these words and you'll sort through them. First thing I would encourage you to do is to pray. Pray. When we look at giving in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, the first thing those Christians did is they gave themselves first to the Lord. Before you start giving your resources, give yourself. God, what is it you would want? This is not that you give to be saved. You can't earn God's approval. God gave his son Jesus to save you from your sins. He set the example of giving. You don't give so that God will give you favor. You don't give to get rich. You give as an act of worship to say, God, it all belongs to you. Help me to to practice in obedience. And I wonder today you would accept the challenge. Sometimes it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to start something from this day forward the rest of my life. Maybe you're able to do that. But sometimes a little intermediate step can be more helpful. I want to challenge you, if you've not been tithing, for six months that you would tithe. That you would tithe for six months and you just see how God will work in your resources. And see what He does in your Christian life. Pray. I also included here, search the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. See if what I'm saying is true. And if you come to a place and you say, you know what, I think tithing is legalism, then you have to answer this question. Are you saying then that that grace would have you to give less than the law? Grace would exceed the law. And then budget. I never even knew that there was such thing as a financial advisor until I was an adult. And now today, there are so many different Christian resources out there. There's Financial Peace University, if our church has done before. I think we'll be offering it again. I remember Ron Blue. I remember managing God's money, God's way. And There's so many out there. There are apps for our phones. My wife and I use one. At the very top of our budget is tithing. So we take it from the very top and then we we go through all of our different bills. We calculate the, the money that comes in. And there's something very clear about a budget. It's there where you see how the money is being spent. It's there where you see where your heart is going towards. And when you can have it all laid out on the table, you can tell God's money where you want it to go. And when you start there, then you could start with the very top. The tithe belongs to the Lord. I didn't realize I was spending so much money on, on going out to eat. You know, if that's keeping me from tithing, then I, then I need to go out less so that I can give the first fruits to God. And I would encourage you just to practice what God is leading you to do. On the back of your sermon outline, there's a couple of different things that I'd ask you to consider. 
There's a few different options. The first one is this. I tithe, and I know the blessings of trusting God to provide. Maybe that's you, and you say, that's my box right there. Another one says, I currently tithe, but I believe the Lord would have me to give above and beyond what I currently give. And, and maybe that's the Highland Crest, but maybe that's to a ministry like, like the Gideons or someone else. Another box says, I have not made tithing a habit, but by God's grace, I would trust God by tithing the next six months. Perhaps that's where you're at today. You say, I, I'm, I'm willing. I believe God is leading me to do this. Or fourthly, I'm new to this idea of tithing. I'm willing to search the scriptures and pray for God's leading. So all I'm asking you to do is just to, to find a box there that best suits you. And You know, at one time in this order of service, I was going to say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take those up and we're going to put them in the offering plate. But my, my concern was that you would say, oh, okay, well, Pastor Chad's going to be seeing what I had to say there. And that's not at all what this is about. So I don't even want these to be in the offering plate. This is really between you and God. Search the Scriptures. Pray about this. How would God lead you in this area? I'm just telling you, that I could not afford not to tithe. It is not a fear of somehow God would bring famine into my family, but there is a, such a joy of giving. And it, it helps me to set my priorities, to say, I get to keep 90% or whatever it is, and I want to start the beginning of my month by worship, by giving back to what belongs to you, God. Would you, would you search the Scriptures? Would you pray about this? And then you respond as God would have you to do. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for Your Word today. And, and my heart does not come as someone that's trying to beat a church family up. I don't come as a desperate man worried about our church finances. I come as one that has experienced great blessings in this area. I've come as one who sees it in Scriptures. And because I love people, I want to share with them this act of worship that we get to participate in. And so, Lord, I remember where I was the first time I heard this. I felt very uncomfortable. I wasn't sure about that pastor. I didn't know if I could trust him. I didn't know what he was all about. And so if that's people's response, I get it today. And all I have to do is just deliver the message. And then I'm going to trust you that you're going to take these words and people are going to apply them the way you see fit. I remember back to where this was a benchmark in my Christian life. The day that I began tithing was a wonderful day. It was a decision that represented, I can trust you. And over the years, there's been more and more opportunities for me to trust you in. And it began when I trusted you as my Savior. And now there's more and more areas. And so I pray for the freedom that people would experience. I pray for those that maybe find themselves bound up in debt. 
And they, they, they're sitting here today, and we, I don't even know how. I don't even have enough money to pay my bills. How would I possibly tithe? Perhaps there's a, a prayer of faith that they could offer up to say, God, if this is really what you want me to do, then I will take whatever necessary steps I need to take in order to, to get rid of debt, to make adjustments in my life, that I can begin to give the first fruits back to you. Perhaps that's where it begins for you, is just offering up a prayer. God, if this is what you want me to do, then you have to show me how I can do this with the finances that I have. Lord, we're reminded that we first must give ourselves. And so may we do that right now. We give to you as our, our, our own offerings. We give our lives back to you and say, you lead us to how you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.